Just imagine hearing Kiss by Prince, you know, it's like like the intro. Pow! Welcome everyone to Unbelievable, the podcast where I tell my dear friend Kurt two incredible stories, and one of them is fake, one of them is real. And I try to guess which one's which. That's right. I am... Shot put and discus star athlete Luis Mejia, and I'm joined by international horse girl extraordinaire Kurt Danner. And we are here to share with you a couple of, of, of fake and true stories. And as Kurt said earlier, he needs to figure out which is which. I'm taking over the show. I am telling you the two stories for today's program. And, uh, well, Kurt, how do you feel? Do you feel confident after last week's display? I, you know what? I actually feel less confident this time because even though I got it last, last time, uh, I feel like maybe you felt me out and adapted accordingly. So I'm, I'm prepared for anything <laughs> you've got to throw at me. As, as we, we have said before, Kurt and I know each other very well. We, uh, are, uh, former lovers, current lovers, future lovers, and also former roommates. And through that, we know how to lie to one another, and my best efforts today are going to be to try and lie to Kurt just enough so that he doesn't know what I'm saying. So, Kurt, are you ready? I am very ready. All right, before we get started, since I'm going to be running most of the show this time, I am going to ask our dearest little Curtis if you have a fun little fact for me to give us a bit of a... Uh, foundation for what's for deciphering fact from fiction, Kurt. I I do in fact. It is both little and fun. Incredible. <laughs> Did you know that Napoleon Bonaparte was once attacked by a horde of bunnies? He had requested that a rabbit hunt be arranged for himself and his men. When the rabbits were released from their cages, they charged towards Bonaparte and the soldiers, and they were forced to defend themselves. True or false? That is. <laughs> That is difficult, Kurt. Just a swarm of bunnies attacking. We said last week, more smoke, more mirrors. I'm bringing my A game, <laughs> That's baby. true. That's true. I think it's a little too incredible for me to say it was false, Kurt. So I'm going to say it's real. It is real. Incredible. It is real. You got it. Wonderful. All right, Kurt. So we're going to go ahead and tell you my two stories that I've got for you today. And I actually am giving you a choice. Since I've been watching a lot of Matrix the last week, I want to give you a choice, a blue pill or a red pill, if you will. Would you like to hear first the most insane story or would you like to hear the most low-key story? Keep in mind, both stories are a little out there, but you have the choice of choosing a little more or a little less. What do you think? Yeah, okay, give me, give me the low-key story first. You wet my appetite okay. a little bit and then, and then I'm, I'm, I'm ready, baby. I'm, I'm hungry. Hit me with your wildest stuff. Okay, so the low-key one first. Sounds good. All right, so I am going to tell you the story of the phonograph seal hunter. Okay, let's do it. Let me paint the picture. This is 1919 early America, right? So the war has just ended. All of North America has to figure out what to occupy their time with, right? Most of the young people are back from war. The flu epidemic is finished, so we don't have to worry about that right now. So what's the... the, the no more mask mandate. <laughs> no, there's no more mask mandate at this point. So people have to figure out what to occupy their time with. 
And what's going on at this point? We may have gotten rid of the flu pandemic, but we have a new pandemic on the rise, Curtis. Can you guess what it is? Seals, I think. I hope. It is seals. It is seals. It is seals. But why are seals a pandemic? Why are they bothering us so much? Okay, I'm going to guess that they have some sort of invasive species thing. God, you are so smart. We can really tell that you just graduated university, Kurt. Wowee. Um, so it is true. It is true. Uh, seals around the area of the Puget Sound are eating salmon a little much. Okay. They're, they're eating a lot of salmon, meaning that the salmon population of the Puget Sound is decreasing for local fish shermen. <laughs> fishermen around that that place okay. in that time period. So there's a real issue. So fishermen want to take it to their own hands to see what they can do with the seal problem. Now, again, it's been described as a seal epidemic and there's a dwindling salmon population and this is really the most exciting thing since the Somme or the Battle of Gallipoli. Really, this is <laughs> there's nothing much going on at this point. There was one person, a fisherman, a fisherman slash hunter named Ed Corfi, who... Wait, wait, are fishermen not hunters? Is there a distinction? Uh, fish hunters as well as a land hunter, Ed Corfi. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I mean... I guess technically they are hunters, but... Fish hunter is way cooler than fisherman. Like, if if you're like, someone says, what do you do for... Oh, I'm a fisherman. Oh, okay. I'm that a sounds, fish hunter. That sounds tranquil. No, I'm a fish hunter. Whoa. That's true. Maybe there's a size of the fish situation, Kurt, where the bigger the fish, the more hunter you are. If you're a fisherman, you're, you're catching fish. But if you're a fish hunter, you're doing it, but you're wearing a leather jacket and sunglasses <laughs> while you're doing it. And you have a scar throughout your whole yeah. face. A scar of uh, the origin story of which you won't talk about. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I've derailed this enough. Back to, back to the program okay. here. That's all right. Well, anyway, we're talking about a hunter, a fish hunter here. Um, a real, a bona fide fish hunter. His name was Ed Corfi. He was a native from that region. And he attempted to solve the situation. He said to himself, I'm going to go kill all these seals that are impacting the salmon production. And so he did. He goes out and he said, I am going to make sure I use the technology of the time to further assist me in my uh, hunting endeavors. So it's 1919. And what's the newest piece of technology? The hottest off the presses piece of, of new revolutionary technology that's right kurt you guessed it correctly it's the phonograph i would have said blackberry but okay <laughs> the blackberry is that old blackberry, yeah. <laughs> um no it's the phonograph it's it's this new revolutionary idea that allows you to play music wherever you want so he thought to himself much like the siren song of old tales that lured sailors into their certain death. I am going to use synthesized voice to lure seals to their demise. And uh, he did. He used a phonograph to hunt seals. And there's actually a newspaper scrapping from that time. This one's coming to you from the Montreal Gazette. Okay. Okay. And... It says as follows. The article is pretty long, but this is a paragraph you need to, to hear. It goes as okay. follows. Quote, 
A phonograph and a rifle were the principal items in Corfi's outfit. According to his statement, he played his phonograph on the rock and sands, and the seals came out of the water to listen to the music. Whenever a seal puts its head above the surface, Corfi's rifle spoke, and the seal dropped. Each seal is said to be able to destroy $1,000 worth of salmon a year. So, wow, that, that is as both brutal and fascinating that that would work. Yeah, just imagine this man on a boat, nothing but a phonograph and a rifle. See, this is, this is the distinction. He's a fish hunter. That's fish hunter <laughs> type behavior right there. Yeah, a, a normal okay. fisherman would not do this. Um, but before we move on, Kurt, what kind of music do you think would be luring in seals at this time? That's what I was just thinking about. Because I wonder if they're just curious about what the noise is or the sound vibrations or if it is genuinely the music. But I like to picture that it's like big band swing. <laughs> they're like they're like very caricature 1920s. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know? or, or maybe I, I was picturing uh, more opera. Like they're just vibing to the Barber of Seville. These seals just looking for a haircut. Yeah. Okay, wait. Let me make a second choice. Okay. Let me make, okay, let me make an, an alternative choice. <laughs> Alternatively, I, I like to think that it's it's just 80s music, specifically Prince. This is 1919, like, Kurt. Not important. Not important. <laughs> just imagine hearing Kiss by Prince. You know, it's like, like the intro. The, uh, pow! <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Imagine being a seal and listening to Prince for the very first time and just getting shot in the mouth. Man. Oh, man. Unfortunately, this, this, this story does not tell us what kind of music they were listening to. However, this does not end here. I would love to end this story nicely up with this man shooting the seals. But reports from the time tell us that Ed Corfi's stunt inspired others to do the same and lure seals with music. However... Most people were not as inspired to bring a whole phonograph because, of course, they were bulky, they were heavy, they were expensive. Oh, that's and... small time. They're not cut out for this like Ed Corfi is, dude. Exactly, exactly. Ed Corfi had at, le at least a little bit of funds. But who? what is the demographic that is going to mostly listen to what Ed Corfi is saying? You guessed it right again, Kurt. You are a 10 out of 10. It is kids. <laughs> Kids oh, are no. going to... Oh, no! The kids are seal hunters? They're fish hunters? <laughs> yeah, the kids. So reports from the time are saying that kids are going out, standing on the rocks of the Puget Sound, and bringing instruments with them to lure seals. Uh, however, if you're a kid, you're not going to bring a whole, a whole violin, right? Or a whole cello. Right. That's not, that's not your style. What's the most mobile instrument you can bring? And some reports say that kids were seen with jaw harps, also known as juice harps. Yeah. The little little harps that you put in your mouth that go doing, doing, yeah. doing, doing. The kids are seen on the rocks of the Puget Sound with jaw harps and pistols. Man, I was luring seals. I was really to when rocks. you said the easiest instrument, I was thinking kazoo. And now I'm not sure what's better, like like a symphony of kazoos or a symphony of jaw harps. Oh, man. I don't know, but just picture. Un unfortunately, the details are a little bit shallow on on how many kids went and what they were using. But just an army. Just imagine an army of young children with jaw harps 
and pistols by their side awaiting a seals to to well just, show up. Just picture it's it's 1920 something. You're a teen. It's summertime. You wake up, you slept in, reach <laughs> reach to your nightstand, your jaw harp is there next to your six shooter. Throw back some whiskey. The war, the war ended. ended. What else are yeah. we gonna do? Oh man, that'd be a great party. All these kids hearing of the stories of their dads, of their parents returning from Germany, hearing how they shot all the Germans and whatever, and they're just trying to reclaim this glory by going out and shooting seals while playing the jaw harp. I bet. Can I? Can I? Can I ask you? Did you find anything in research about like older generations or newspapers saying the youth is ruined? Because that's got to be great material. Like the youth these days is shooting oh. seals and playing their newfangled <laughs> jaw harps. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't see any of that, but I can tell you from having done personal research on, on old newspapers, the, the older generation was always complaining about the newer generation. So, of course, there was a group of parents, at least in Montreal, saying, yeah. this is an outrage. My kid does not do his homework anymore. He just goes out and shoots <laughs> seals and plays the jaw harp for hours at a time. They've been ruined by this darn phonograph. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly um and it doesn't say how much this affected the economy or whatever but if we can if we can be okay with the with the one thousand dollars a year one seal would consume well i'm assuming if an army of kids went out there shooting seals we probably saved who knows at least fifteen thousand dollars in salmon harvest of the year who's to yeah. say okay there there's no real numbers but this is this is what happened uh, at the time in in the late nineteen nine the nineteen teens, if you will. All right. So that's our first story. Our first story is is luring phone uh luring seals with phonographs. Have you got any questions for me, Curtis? I feel like I'm just digesting all this information. I've just had the <laughs> the image of like several children <laughs> shooting seals playing a jaw harp in my head for a while. So do you, do you know how long this went on? When did when did this stop happening? Was there a moment where they're like, okay, there's now like five seals left, so we can probably go home. So there are no further reports. Uh, there are reports of the epi the seal epidemic happening uh, right after the flu epidemic. So from 19 to like 21, that was a real issue. Uh, and this story is from 1919. So I'm assuming that it went on for a little bit, but I don't. I I, I really don't know. Maybe How maybe much? it was it was really like a a case of something people were very worried about and then it just kind of tapered off. People just, That's just true. forgot. That's true. And, and, and it does say that the Federal Commission for Fish and Wildlife acknowledged the fact that Ed Corfee killed seals with a phonograph. <laughs> so in a way, this was uh, let's just say sponsored or or acknowledged by official authorities right it would be fun to do you know the the like little domino leading up to a big domino little domino is like <laughs> something that led to the invention of the phonograph big domino children playing jaw harp shooting seals <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but you know listen listen maybe they didn't solve the problem of seals raging throughout the Puget Sound. However, they did do their part. You know, each each person went out and did their own. They they expressed their own individuality, right? Kurt? Good for them. Good for them. Good for them. Good for them. So that's the first story. It's 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 
seals being shot and being lured around by by uh princess kiss yeah <laughs> 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 right well and and that was kurt i'm afraid to say the least interesting or the least uh unbelievable story that i have for you today why are you afraid to say that means we got nowhere to go but up exactly and this next story we may have started in the beginning of last century but we're going to take it way back to the 13th century so the 1200s we're going to the end of the 1200s so 1290s and we're going to go across the other side of the world to italy now all right picture yourself 1290s Italy, everything was messed up, really. There are families infighting, kingdoms dissolving and and being created all at once, and and just a lot of fighting all across Europe. And Italy, of course, was a, a huge part of this, right? Now, one of the big powers in Europe at this time was, of course, the Papal States, right? Right. Now, the Papal States were ruled by the pope so the pope was not only the highest authority in the catholic faith but also the king the ruler of the papal states so not only was there spiritual power but there was also diplomatic power and he gets a cool hat too and he gets an amazing hat don't forget that that's in the job perks exactly exactly so being pope at this time was not just an honorific title like it is today. Like being Pope brought a lot of wealth and brought a lot of influence and brought a lot of friends and a lot of enemies, right? So a lot of people were often fighting at this point to become Pope. Right. A, a little bit of context. At this era, the, the idea of the cardinal conclave, so the idea of cardinals getting together to choose the next Pope, is not around. It's not a thing that's happening at the time. How did how did they choose the Pope? Glad you asked, Kurt, because, I mean, Popes were basically chosen by another person murdering the current Pope and then saying, nope, sorry, I'm the Pope now. All right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The rule, the, ru- the rule of two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Each Pope will be stronger than the last in combat. We are not comparing the papacy to the Sith, but, you know, unbelievable. Just want to make sure we gave a little bit on That's uh, disclaimer. disclaimer there. Disclaimer. Yeah, a little no sh- disclaimer. No shade on the on the Pope. <laughs> the current papacy. Now, what's interesting about this is that after years, centuries of no order, the cardinals got together and decided we are going to elect a pope. It's not essentially, it's not the conclave we have now, but it is essentially the beginning. A pope vote, a, a vote for the pope, a ballot for the pope. Okay. Now, the cardinals get together. This is in 1292, Kurt. 1292, the Pope has just died. The Cardinals are getting together to choose who the next Pope is. But there is a lot of problems with this election. In particular, the fact that there are two warring families in Rome at this time that are selling favors to a bunch of the Cardinals, right? So a lot of the Cardinals are divided on either side, whether they support, this is the Colonna, family or the Orsini family. Okay. The Cardinals are divided in in who's going to become the Pope, whether the Colonna family or the Orsini family, who's going to get the papacy. Okay. So even though it's, it's put to a vote, it seems like it's, 
it's gonna go to whoever the cardinals owe the most essentially to, their, because their, their loyalties are split right because the pope needs to get the majority or at least you know the uh, un- unanimous agreement between the cardinals of who's going to become the pope and because there's such a division such a rivalry between these two families the colonna and orsini families well we can't really decide who the pope is this goes on for two years kurt two years so for two years the papal states one of the most powerful states in europe at the time is without a ruler the hat is vacant yeah yeah it's it's vacant the holy see the throne is there just by itself getting acquiring dust right and not only is this a problem for spiritual situations if you're a follower of the catholic faith well of course this impacts you there's no real right. church follower but you have a country to run you have a state to run right who's going to be there so this is a real issue while the cardinals are all arguing a monk an ascetic monk so someone really secluded decides to write a letter to the cardinals <laughs> and this letter essentially says God is going to punish the cardinals if they don't reach a decision soon. Essentially telling them, you are going to go to hell if you don't reach a decision for the new pope in like as soon as you can. What a what a bold move to, yeah. to slap slap the wrists of someone higher up than you in your own church. <laughs> right. Wow. It's, and, you know, this person is a monk, so what's what's going to happen to him? They're going to kick him out of his house? He doesn't care. He's living as a nomad, right? Here's the crazy part, Kurt. It worked. This letter worked. The cardinals receive this and say, oh, oh, yeah, no, that's right. We No, we totally get it. Um, So should we make this guy pope? <laughs> <laughs> and so... They read this letter from the guy named uh, Pietro de Moroni. Pietro de Moroni becomes Pope Celestine V. Wow. So in 1294, now we have Pope Celestine V, just this random 79-year-old guy. Is is there any anything that implies that that he wanted it or even that he was open to the idea? I mean, did he, did he resist becoming Pope? He didn't resist becoming Pope. But all the outsiders saw him as a weak-willed pope. They were like, what's he going to know? He became pope when he was 79 years old. And before it, he was a secluded monk. Like, what the hell just happened? He just sent them a letter that said, to whom it may concern, please figure it out. And they sent him back a letter that said, no, you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's precisely what happened. So now we have... A weak-willed pope named Celestine V, who's an octogenarian man, really trying his best. And he, he's in the, in the throne of the papal states and the head of the church. Mm-hmm. Now, this doesn't go unseen, of course. So right. tongues start speaking around Italy, saying this guy just became pope by writing a letter. And a lot of people thought, well, he's a terrible pope. I'm going to write a letter too and try to see if I can become Pope <laughs> also. <laughs> so letters began arriving in Vatican City day after day. They grew, they were incessant. Um, so much so that really it was so many letters of people saying, this guy shouldn't be the Pope. 
let me be the Pope or let this other guy be the Pope. Of course, the Colonna and Orsini family also said, yeah, you should have chosen one of our guys. Right. And uh, it was so frequent, the amount of letters that were arriving, that they even used a special oven to burn all the letters that were arriving saying, let me be Pope. <laughs> um, I, I, you probably know how today when the Cardinal Conclave chooses a new Pope, they throw their ballots into the fire. And if the smoke is white, there's a new Pope. If the smoke is black, they still haven't chosen. Right. So there was a constant billow of black smoke coming out of Vatican City for around <laughs> six to eight months <laughs> just literally day after day, the the black smoke would continue around Vatican City saying, listen, guys, there's not going to be a new pope. We have one. As, Don't as, worry. And it's it, the smoke is all from the letters? Yeah, the smoke is all from the letters, right? That's If you know how fast paper burns, that's, that's such yeah. a... Like, it really puts in perspective how many letters it is for a, a constant. That's true. Persistence. I mean, and this is, and of course, maybe, maybe it's an inflated account from, for the time or whenever people were looking up. But I mean, you can really tell just how much. Yeah, either, either way, that's, that's a ton of letters. It's a ton of letters. And it goes to show just what happened next. It makes sense because after seeing that so many letters were being burned and, and nothing was being made. Two families decide to attack the papacy directly. So two families decide to go into Rome and attack the papal states in Vatican City for the papacy. They said, "Wow, letters are not doing anything. We're going in. And the two families that went in were the Colonna and the Orsini families, Kurt. So they're united now. Yeah. So they decided, let's put away our differences, join together, and fight against the Pope. Wow. Which they did. They attacked Rome for several days. Rome was sieged by the Colonna and Orsini families. And Celestine V, of course, was forced to resign. A Pope had never resigned at this point. And he was forced to resign, which he did. And now, great, the families achieve their success of getting a pope out. But right. wait, we have an issue. We want a pope, said one family. Yeah, the other family be? I don't said, think, yeah. They didn't think ahead, I don't think. <laughs> exactly. So the same issues that brought this man to power are being brought back again because they can't decide on who's going to become the pope. So now that they've spent several months attacking Rome, the two families start fighting between one another for, again, a couple months, maybe, maybe a year. They start squabbling over who's going to be the pope. Another year happens. Battles and, and coercing cardinals happen, whatever. The cardinals get together again, and the ballot is chosen, and bam, a Norsini family member is crowned the pope. This pope would become Pope Boniface VIII. And in a perfect world, this would come to the end there forever. Right. However, this is Middle Ages right. Italy, meaning the terrible is always around the corner. Boniface VIII was awful. He is also reported to be put into uh, Dante's Inferno on the eighth circle of hell. Okay. Because he was so okay. bad. <laughs> so... And, and and Boniface VIII also did a bunch of crimes during his papacy that when he died, the next pope decided to try him posthumously. 
Okay. Um, so the corpse of Pope Boniface was there. Anyway, <laughs> this is all to say this did this didn't end the the big issues between popes, right? This would continue until after the Renaissance. But the election, the the rise of Pope Boniface VIII to the papacy would end this whole weird uh civil war between families between warring states uh that led to pope celestine becoming the pope when he didn't want to being pope for a little bit and then getting kicked out of the papacy which if if you ask me was probably his decision <laughs> like he was fine to go <laughs> right <laughs> i think i think it got out while the getting was good so, uh, you know little, little domino old 79 year old monk writes a letter Big Domino, Pope's dead body put on the stand for cross-examination. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's the end of this second story, Curtis. Wow. Have you have you any inquiries? That one isn't, dude. I didn't think we happened. could go up from, from jaw harp and shooting seals, but oh boy, we have. We're up to 11 here, baby. Yeah. More smoke, more mirrors. More right? smoke, more mirrors. Okay, so so after after the um after now we're on to the third pope did things settle down after that did they return to normal because it seems like you need to like de-escalate into some sort of system yeah so boniface actually ended up dying in prison uh from all his crimes he was beaten up so badly in prison that he he died shortly after oops uh and sure things went back to semi-normal but really i mean at this point the the papacy is still such a power in Europe that of course in 30 years, something would change. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's just impressive. If you think about what a stable institution, the Catholic church is today, that it's, it's got, it's got a system and it's, it's, you know, an institution. It feels like it's, it's been around basically forever. If, yeah. if you think of like this moment where I'm sure people knew that there was some amount of corruption of, of families having influence over who was the next Pope. And then, and then to go through that sequence of events, it's pretty amazing that, like, at this point today, it's resulted in a in a stable situation. And, I mean, I can tell you that this was the very first pope to resign, to essentially abdicate the throne, right? right? Which had to be a major deal as well. It was, it was a major deal at the time. The second pope to resign was uh, several hundred years later. He resigned literally just to stop the issues happening with the Great Schism, yeah. with, like, the Protestant Reformation, yeah. etc., and then the Pope that resigned after that was in 2013 when Pope Benedict XVI resigned, the last one. Hmm. Um, so only three Popes have resigned, and this was the first one to do so, right? So, so it's surprising that regardless of all the issues that have happened throughout the years, political, uh, faith-based, diplomatic yeah. issues that have happened, it's still going on with big old Papa Frank out there uh, just, just imagine the state we would be in if if some random person wrote a letter to the electoral college <laughs> and was like i could be the president and i'd like put it get it get him in there and they're then, like actually I, he the, has a good point and then people storm <laughs> the white house and make a new president and then that president gets beaten to death and put on trial after death and then a third president like yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an unimaginable situation Yes, Kurt. These are the two stories that I had for you today. Uh, just to remind you a little bit, the last one was a fish hunter going out to hunt seals by using a phonograph. I believe it is now time to go into 
I'm going to get real close to the microphone for this. Deliberation. Deliberation. <laughs> okay. What do you think, Kurt? All right. All right. Here's so here the vibe I'm feeling. Both of them sound really, really true. The second story, mm-hmm. the, the three popes story, somehow the pettiness involved in all of this, it really feels really real to me. <laughs> but I'm at this this strange crossroads. I really want the seal story to be true. I really yeah. do. Almost enough to just just stop recording right now and you never tell me that <laughs> it's not real if it isn't. You don't want to know what the truth is. I don't want to know. No, I uh, what what's your I'm taking the blue pill, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm taking the blue pill. Blue I don't pill. want to know. Leave me in the matrix. <laughs> um Yeah, man, it's a tough choice, but I I think I'm going to say I believe the three pope story is true and so unfortunately, the sealed jaw harp story I think this, the three pope story is true. That's what you think is true. Well, Kurt, I am going to tell you that of the two stories I just told you, the pope story is false. Oh, the seals are real. It is It is a false story, and you can be happy knowing that the seal being lured by a phonograph is entirely true. I That's will, I will take I it. I will t- I've never been happier to be wrong. I actually, I actually got this while researching some old newspapers. I came across this headline, again, from the Montreal Gazette, saying the headline is, Phonograph Lures Seals. It's a whole article talking that's, about that this sounds man. Like a, sounds like a video game loading screen tip. Phonograph can lure seals. Exactly. <laughs> and it says, uh, it says the, the opening line of this article from the Montreal Gazette is, Phonograph music lured scores of destructive hair seals of the lower Puget Sound to their deaths last summer, according to Ed Corfi, who spent several months at the seas. And the last paragraph, which I think is the best part of the kids going out with the jaw harp, says, Officials of the commission support Corfi's claim that the seals responded to the music. Another Seattle official, Superior Judge Calvin S. Hall, agrees with them and says he has seen small boys armed with Jews harps bring seals up onto the rocks of the lower Puget Sound. Wow. That is just amazing to picture. So, okay, then let me let me ask you, because I swear when you said putting the Pope's dead body on the stand, like a light bulb went off in my head somewhere. Yeah, so, okay, uh, let me talk a okay. little bit about the that's not story. That's not delirium, early, no, early it is, onset It is not dimension. delirium. Okay, I did great. use a lot of real stuff that happened in history for that story. Now, it is true that there was a bit of a deadlock in the 1294, sorry, 1292 papal conclave. There was a bit of a deadlock. They were fighting, discussing, whatever. And someone did write to the papacy and say, this needs to happen now. And he did become pope. He did become pope. Now, Celestine V was a real pope. He was only pope for for less than six months. Okay. You asked me earlier, did he want to be pope? Did Did he accept the position as pope? Um, he had no choice. He became Pope <laughs> and he had a couple edicts, but his most popular edict was giving the Pope the right to resign. <laughs> <laughs> and once it was passed, he immediately said, okay, and resigned. 
And, and, and yeah, so that ended that. So literally less than six months happened and this man became Pope and then stopped being Pope. Uh, and then they just voted said, again. My first act as Pope is I do not have to be Pope anymore. And I'm now not the Pope. The next Pope was indeed Boniface the eighth, really no relation to Celestine the fifth. The only thing Boniface was really known for doing, he did a, a little bit of war, but he... What are you going to do? That's that's always going on, you know? Yeah, that's always going on, there. right? Yeah, Everyone's doing a little on. bit of war. Yeah. Um, he jailed Celestine V, right, as he became Pope, right? Okay. So Celestine V went to jail as, not the Pope, just a civilian, Okay. Uh, died in jail, beaten, removed all of his previous edicts, except okay. the right for the Pope to resign. <laughs> and i don't know that there was just a couple of like people wanting to kill him so he was eventually also killed and his body was put to trial so okay essentially the beginning and the end of the story are true uh, right. for the most part i i changed a couple things there so everything in the middle no families fought against each other the colonna and orsini families were real but they didn't really do much at this time okay um there was no oven to burn all these letters in oh no i feel bad when i when i asked you about that i was like oh, i wonder if he didn't consider that paper burns really fast and it needs to be six days straight <laughs> i am going to be honest with you i, I did not kurt <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah yeah no the, the oven the oven you were the like we you, were, you were like let me add this this detail about about the uh, pope related thing and how many letters there were and then my my rural missouri brain is like i've started many fires in my time i know how fast paper <laughs> burns <laughs> exactly exactly um but yeah no uh the oven and the current practice of white smoke or black smoke is fairly current uh fa fairly present so that didn't get started back here um there was no war upon rome there was no inner conflict between families so that is that is not real. That that is not a real story. The pettiness that you said made this the most real did not happen, Kurt. That yeah, that had me all the way. I don't know. It's like how um we had talked about in in a couple of our past episodes about like tying things up in bureaucracy, or just yeah. stories having yeah. weird details that it seems like you wouldn't add if you were making up a story. Yeah, the pettiness made all the difference. That. That was that was the the defining detail for me. But yes, you can die happy knowing that the seal phonograph story is totally one hundred percent true. Oh, thank goodness! To celebrate the truth of the seal phonograph story, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a playlist of what I would play for the seals. And already I already I have two songs I know I'm gonna put on there. Okay, Paper Planes. Okay. And Pumped Up Kicks. And I'm out. I'm out. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. I'll be. I'm. I'm. I'm eager to hear what this playlist is. I'm sure we'll share it as much as we can. Um, but this brings up the tally we have between real stories and fake stories. Kurt. That's true. One, Luis. Two. So I am ahead in the lead with two to one right now, Kurt. That's okay. I did it for the seals. I, it, hurt, <laughs> it hurts to fall behind, but I did it for the seals. It's worth it. It's worth it. I'm, I'm honest. Honestly, I'll get my revenge uh, next next episode with even more smoke and even more mirrors. Even more mirrors. Wonderful, Kurt. Well, this was unbelievable. 
with Kurt and Luis. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on social media, on Instagram mostly, at Unbelievable Pod. You can find different episodes there. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, really. Those sites is the best place to find us. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, the tally is me, Louise, winning two to one. And we'll see you next time when Kurt has two wildly fanciful, unbelievable stories for me. And I'll get to decide which is which. So thank you, Curtis. And I'll see you next time. Thank you, Louise.